0: Good morning. Good morning. I just got the announcement on my watch that our nine o'clock service is starting in Arizona, so we're worshiping together here. How about that? You guys are so important to us. We learned so much from this church. We just had Pastor Dave Bechtel with us. He came down at the end of July did a marriage conference. And if you get a chance to go to Pastor Dave and Sarah's it was Sarah too marriage conference, you need to go. And if you don't think you need to go, now you really need to go. And they, they, they helped a lot of couples in our church. And what particularly uh, tickled my heart was there were a couple of tough guys that went, muscle car guys, guys that don't like to go to church. And they came. And, you know, their wives were so grateful because he had a key to their heart that I don't have. And that's the beauty of changing ministry and inviting ministry in from the outside. He also was with our pastoral staff, had a prophetic time over us, did our teens. Did, he, he can do so many different things. You have a very talented staff here, and you ought to be very happy and thankful for them. Uh, I heard that you're having the Freedom Fighters things, and I was supposed to go to Green Bay tonight, but I told Teresa, I gotta stay here for that meeting, because there's always something I can learn, and I wanna learn because I wanna lead better in the places where God has me more than he has me here. So just by way of just testimonies, because testimony is very powerful, our faith is tried and tested, and I think to hear that God does things is important, when I first came into the charismatic movement, we didn't see very many miracles. We didn't hear much. We didn't hear or see many deliverances. We are seeing those things now, I think, in, in all of our churches. Here we're seeing it. You know, I'm, I'm one that likes testimonies, so I'm like, well, Tom, what do you got? What's new? What's new at City Church? And he knows that means tell me some of your testimonies because I want to hear them. And then I tell him mine because this mutually encourages you. So one that's special to me is we had a woman come from, she, she came from kind of far away. She came from Tehran, Iran. She was a Shia Muslim. And this also was a testimony of the body of Christ because they landed first in, around Denver, Colorado, and there was some people there. They took time for them, loved them, and they converted to Christ three of the four in the family, the mother and the two daughters, the father, resisted then they end up in Gilbert Arizona and they start coming to our church and it's very interesting to be in church with a person who knows now what it means to be a Christian and she has first hand data from Iran about Christians and it's not pretty folks COVID-19 is nothing it's nothing and she, she lives this accelerated life and, and we think, okay, you know, we live life, we serve God, nothing bad happens. Well, she got some bad news. Her daughter had a brain tumor and they said, you know, some things are gonna happen to you. First, you're gonna get headaches. This is inoperable and then you're gonna go blind and then you're gonna die. Have a good day. And she's 23 years old, so it's not very good. She's not going to give up, the mother. She's going to take care of her girls. She starts praying. She's talking to the woman's pastor, Beverly McIntyre. and Beverly says, well, bring her up to our healing rooms. Bring her over. Well, the girl lives in Tucson, so it's 100 miles to come to the healing rooms. But see, it's an act of faith to do something like that. Anytime you go somewhere, anytime you get out of your comfort zone, it's that in itself is an act of faith. And this girl drove up on a Tuesday night two healing rooms, received about 15 minutes of prophetic ministry and healing, and sensed the presence of God, but didn't necessarily sense healing. But the next day, in Tucson, she had an MRI. And when they did it, they said, your tumor's gone. We can find no evidence of a tumor. Now, God is in the business of 2 He'll get two for one. If He'll get more than that. He'll get 100 for one. The father was not convinced that the three women in his family were doing the right thing. He was not convinced that Christianity was from God. But since the healing of his daughter, everything's changed. He comes to church with a smile, and it's just a matter of time, and we're going to have him come to Christ. And you know what? in the providence and knowledge of God, this might have been the only way that that heart would have come to Christ. Those details I leave to the Lord. But this man needed a major miracle and he had one in his own house. So that's kind of (laughs) cool. I I think that's kind of cool. We we see that stuff, uh, major deliverances all the time. It's just regular now. And God's good. It backs up the preaching of the word and the truth of the word. I'd like to give a few testimonies. I'm into discipleship too. I came to this church in 1979 because of the charismatic movement and the things that were happening here. But I was a word guy, a discipleship guy before that. And I've kept them together. And our name of our church, Two Rivers, is that thing. The word of the spirit and the word. These, these The river of the spirit and the river of the word. So we've been working on discipleship. And is actually part of this because... We had a family in our church that had to rent a house kind of far away from church, about 35, 40 minutes. And they had, they had four little girls, and they found out that their neighbor was dying of ovarian cancer. And that's, not, that's good. It's called the silent killer. I've never heard of anybody who's lived through ovarian cancer. She said, I never saw her in this point, but she said she looked like Schmiegel. She had no hair, she had went to about 95 pounds, and she was extremely weak. (laughs) And needed days. And the people from our church, they kept going. They would take their small group there, they would go back, they would go back, they would go back and pray. And they kept praying and there was no results. But one day, she was so weak, couldn't even get up off the floor. She just laid on her living room floor. And the little girl started praying for her. I think the oldest one's 12. It's a little ladder. And she felt something, but she didn't know. You know, this is out of her, off her grid too, that, that people would even, strangers basically, before these people moved into the neighborhood, would keep coming back and praying for her. It was very strange for her. But in the morning, she got up with a ravenous appetite and began to eat. Her family was shocked. They hadn't seen her eat for days. And she ate, and she ate, I think she had four bowls of breakfast cereal. And she got a complete... Clean bill of health. Her doctor in Phoenix is a Hindu. And he said to her, Your God has healed you. Yes. Now, she didn't know that he was a Hindu, but the nurse took her aside and goes, Look, he's a Hindu. He doesn't even believe in Jesus until I think now. Huh? So that's kind of cool. We've had stuff like that. But Teresa has been working with a group of people in discipleship. And that woman now is in Minnesota because she's a snowbird. And she's doing discipleship with two different pregnancy, crisis pregnancy centers and training them in how to lead young women to the Lord and disciple them because, you know, they got there because they weren't, right? So to see that continue on is kind of cool. And then... I'm going to share this testimony, because you, you, you guys are doing a little bit of this discipleship program here. They're doing it in New Glarus. Um, when I came to Two Rivers, or when I came here, I taught discipleship like I did in the university, how I was taught, and that turns out to be wrong. You can't do it at church like that, because, of course, those are 20-year-old brains that are working very well and efficiently, and they're used to studying and there's a little bit of memory, not a lot, but there's a little bit of memory and things. And, and I tried to push that on the church and there was a pretty violent reaction back. And it's always preoccupied me in these years, now decades of ministry, why it didn't work so well. And I found that was my problem. But I had four 60 year olds call me up. And they said, we hear about the two questions. We hear about the bridge. We want you to teach it to us during this COVID. So we started out on Zoom doing the bridge and the two questions and I decided I was going to learn something here I decided that it wouldn't be a set of meetings they would learn until they learned and 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 they said well how how much time do you think and they said you think four weeks and I said no we're going to do this different I'll tell you when we're done but I knew when they were going to be done They were going to be done when they could teach it to somebody else. Not when they could do it, when they could teach it to somebody else. But I also wanted them to use it. So now they've led, of four, they've led three people to Christ. One of the persons pretty excited about the person she led to Christ because it was her oldest son. And that's pretty special for a mother when you see that your son is not serving Christ and then you're trained in a way that you can lead him to Christ. But she's Welsh. And right now she's at home. Wales, and through this ten weeks of process, she kept talking with her sister in Wales, and her sister got pretty excited, and she said, "We need that in Wales. We don't share the gospel well. We we want to, but we have no tools. We've been going to church all their lives." And she said, "You know, I've a Christian all my life. I can't I can't do what I want to do. I don't even know where to start. So that little tool, the bridge, and the two questions, is the way to do that." So she's in Wales right now teaching a group of people. And I suspect that I will see people around the throne of Jesus from Wales and I have part of their salvation, but I didn't do it. They did it. And that makes me actually more excited than anything. So those are kind of cool testimonies. It did take them 10, 10 weeks to learn it. And in about week five, I changed it on them. I said, okay. Not only do you have to write the two questions and the bridge out from memory, you have to do it in five minutes. I'm putting a little pressure on you, and we'll see how you do. And they were just griping away. Your taskmaster. What kind of pastor is this? It took them five weeks to get there, but I said, here's why I'm doing it. You will now know that under any pressure, you will be able to share the gospel. Because we have to train better than we do. So, This here, if you don't know, is Monument Valley in in, in Arizona. They picked this slide. I didn't. This is on the Navajo Indian Reservation. And as a matter of fact, what you don't know about Navajo and many Native Americans, the way they live means that COVID-19 has ravaged their reservations. So a lot of our Arizona numbers actually come from this part of Arizona. Here's another thing I didn't know about the Navajo their reservation is in Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, and a little bit of Colorado. It's larger than 17 states in the United States. It's pretty big, pretty big reservation. It's not like a couple square miles. So, anyway, I want to show you a little saying. You may have seen it. It says, make sure you test positive for faith. Not COVID, faith. Make sure you test positive for faith. Keep distance from doubt. And isolate from fear. Trust God through it out. Now, some of you who follow Bill and Benny Johnson saw this on Benny Johnson's Facebook page. I swiped it. It's called a screenshot. I'm like, this is good. And I kept reminding my congregation, as we go through this, this is the posture of our heart. We're going to test positive for faith. We're going to keep our distance from doubt. We're going to isolate from fear. Trust God through it all. Now, we have to figure out a way to do this, but we have Zoom, we have FaceTime, we have lots of different things we can use. We actually should be inserting ourselves in people's lives now because they're afraid. You need to understand something. The reason why this is a big deal is not the numbers. I believe that this is the first thing that America has faced since 9-11 that could potentially kill people. And when you are facing death and you don't have Jesus, you get nervous. I think what this country's really going through is without Jesus, I mean, I mean, they're going, if I die, this is over. And they're working so hard to protect today because there is, no, there is no eternity. And see, even if you would say you're an atheist, it doesn't mean that in the spirit realm you don't feel that because you are going to feel the conviction whether you even believe that conviction exists. So right now, and I've been walking around here, We've been in Brown County up by Green Bay. It is not looking like this. We've been out in Baraboo in different places. It is not looking like this. Dane County is a special place. People are afraid, they're petrified. Use it for Jesus. Use this beautifully crafted problem for the gospel because you have the answer that they don't have. So we're gonna move on. I'm gonna show you my beautiful wife, Teresa. She is hugging a monument. This monument is the northern terminus of the Arizona Trail. The Arizona Trail starts in Mexico and goes to Utah. It is 800 miles. When you finish, that's what you do. You take the photo shot of doing the 800 miles. So I got to... Map of Arizona here, and you can see starting in Mexico, they divide it into little passages. You can hike it by passage, or you can start at one end and go. There's a few weirdos that can do those 800 miles in, I think, like 35 days. But generally speaking, if you're a normal human, it will take you at least 60 days. Now, we were out uh, in the middle of this. A shot of the northern plateau. This is the Kaibab Plateau, as you. Get down about thirty-five miles from the peak, which is nine thousand four hundred feet in pines. You get down there, you get this scrubs, and I'm actually out there in the middle of that photo, following Teresa. Now, the thing is, this is a long time, and we had decided she she had not done the last seventy miles, so we decided to do it together. COVID hit. Everything's closed, but the wilderness is not closed, and so we can, we can go do this 70 miles. Now, that's basically walking from Madison to Beloit. Now, you're not going to do that in one day. You're going to need to pitch a tent for three of those nights. You're not going to get to Beloit in a day unless you go like this, right? So, that, that's kind of far, and I got out there and uh, I made some mistakes. The title of the message is Put No Confidence in the Flesh. But here's the thing. I've been following Teresa Round Trails in Arizona for about 15 years. 15 years of doing, I mean, here's the title of one of the hikes we did. It's about 11 miles long. It's about 2,000 feet up, 2,000 feet down. Brutal hike. The name of the hike is Superstition Ridge Death March. <laughs> you gotta know with a name like that. That's not gonna be fun. So I've done these different things. I have never gotten a blister. Not one blister. Not one problem with my feet. I kind of think my feet are indestructible. Now when we start the 70 miles, what I've never done is like four days in a row. And four days without resting. Four days of constant motion. I've never done that. She has. She's done 600 miles of that. And she's acquired some experience. So as we were hiking the first two days, she's like, have you checked your feet? Do you want to check your feet? Would, would you like to change your socks? Because she's got this little deal, four miles, sit down, take off her shoes, drive her feet, put duct tape on her feet if it gets a hot spot, because duct tape and Jesus solve most of life's problems. <laughs> according to Teresa. If Jesus can't do it, duct tape can do it. And so for 35 miles, I'm watching her stop every four miles. she takes take off her shoes. I'm waiting for her to take off her shoes. Her shoes. Here, don't you want to do this? No. No. Of course not. Okay. Okay. She's kind of like Burger King and me. Have it your way. But she already knows what I'm cooking. And she knows I'm probably not going to like it. But she does it anyway. So... Part of what I wanna talk about is, here's what I did. I put confidence in my flesh. And what I got was, after 35 miles, we took a little three-mile journey, two miles in, and stayed in a hotel. Dumpy little hotel room in in Jacob Lake, Arizona. And I was really having a hard time getting my shoes off, so you know it's trouble. And she was taking off my socks. And this toe, next to the big toe, is, you know, your, your second longest toe. And I had a blister underneath my toenail about a quarter of an inch. And my toenail was a sombrero on that blister. And you got to know looking at it, there's a problem there. I was going to put it up here, but Pastor Tom thought it might be too (laughs) gross. I think he gets squeamish when he sees things like that. Actually, the end result of that is I'm missing four toenails. Because it happened to four of my toes. And for Teresa, this is nothing. She loses them like whatever. I'd never lost a toenail before. It was kind of horrifying. They turn black or they make sombreros. And that one came out pretty quick. And here's why. I put confidence in the flesh. And I wasn't humble enough to take correction. So let's look at... uh, I've got a little comparison between hiking and the Christian life. You can you can you can come up with some comparisons here. First of all, on any hike there's a start and a finish, and in the Christian life there's a start and a finish. The start of the Christian life is not when you're born, it's when you get born again. And if you don't get born again, the finish is going to be the wrong place. So you need to get born again so you can finish at the right place. Now, when you're hiking, especially for 600 miles, you don't take extra stuff. You're not going to take a lawn chair with you. You're not going to take heavy food. You're actually probably going to spend some bucks, and it is some bucks, to get this ultra-light stuff. A one-pound sleeping bag, pound-and-a-half tent. She's actually got a tent that she doesn't—it e- doesn't even have its own poles. You use your hiking poles to prop it up. I mean... It's all considered how light can you make your pack. And it's pretty impressive how light they can make it. It ends up being in Arizona that the weight of the water you carry and the food for how many days you're going to be out there is what the weight is because everything else is pretty light. Now, when you're hiking, you just don't want to take unnecessary baggage. So you do your best to think through what clothes will I need, what clothes will I not need. Because they're so into this that, They got it down to how many, you know, sweaters they'll take. Because underwear isn't such a big deal, you know, but they're they're down into the ounces. Now, in Arizona, you guard your water and your feet. When we were hiking the 70 miles, there was only three places you could get water. And if any of those places didn't have water, I'm telling you, it would not be pretty. You would probably live. I'm talking about living here. But you wouldn't live too well until you got to the next source. So, you guard your feet and you guard your water. Now, what I was doing on this hike is not guarding my feet because my confidence was in all my past hiking experience. I'd never had a blister. I got some. I got some doozers, as a matter of fact. And so, here's here's after... 35 miles, two days of not listening to counsel, not listening to expert advice. I, I get up in the morning, and I have a choice now, because I have now made some decisions that screw up my life. Here's one option. I can let my wife hike 35 miles, spend one night out in the wilderness alone, which actually doesn't bother her, but some women would go, no, hey, am I going to sleep alone where no one is except mountain lions and bears? I'm not going to do that by myself. She likes to do that. I don't even like to do that. But here's, I've got to let her hike 35 miles to the trailhead where our car is parked and then drive back and pick, pick me up. It's kind of like, rescue your husband. It's just, for the macho me, this is not working. So I'm going to hike them 35 miles. And I'm telling you, it was like this. Oh, Jesus. But you know what? I learned all those trite things we say actually work because I'm hiking along and doing my thing, and she's like, well, why don't you put some worship music on? Why don't you praise Jesus? And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding. I have blisters. I have a sombrero in this sock. But you know what? I put on worship music. Elevation Worship 2018 Acoustic Version. And I was able to walk, and I'll bet I only felt about 25% of the pain. It was amazing. Haven't you ever heard a pastor say that? If you're going through a tough time, praise the Lord. Here's what we say. Nah, don't need it. Right. It's, we, we lose if we do that. Now, when you're out hiking, you don't want to take the wrong path. The Arizona Trail is clearly marked. It's got these little decals. But they did... What they did was they strung together a lot of trails that already existed. So we were actually hiking the Kaibab Plateau Trail number 101 for a lot of it. But it's also been included in this 800-mile Arizona Trail. So they have two names right there under each one. But you could, and every now and then you do, get off trail. It's not always as easy as you think. Well, you're going to end up at the wrong place. Or you're going to make a detour that you wish you hadn't. Because remember, you have to guard your water, and you have to guard your feet. So you don't want to take the raven path. Now, Christians, we're supposed to not guard our water and feet. We're supposed to guard our heart. I don't know how many people I've met shipwrecked on the side of the road, and it's because they didn't obey Proverbs 4, which says, guard your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. They've led bitterness or fear or anger or offense. Something got in their heart and bumped them off the trail. You might be close to that this morning. This is, this is a call to guard your heart in a better way. You also don't want to be deceived and take the wrong path. There's a multiple number of paths, even supposedly Christian paths that aren't going to get you where you want to go. They're just not going to take you where you want to go. Um, and they look like they're the trail. Here's one, I'll just mention this. There is a teaching in Christianity that you give to get. I believe that's selfishness, sin, and I believe that most people that do that are chasing the idol of greed. If you just change the words, what if you get to give? See, that's the life of generosity. And it never depends on how much you have because we all have something. And whatever we get, we give that's where the supernatural provision of God is. Actually, you can see that in the fourth chapter of Philippians. So there are all these wrong paths you could take. You don't want to take the wrong path. You don't want to be deceived. Then you've got to press on to the end. Here's the problem with being 35 miles from nowhere. You still have 35 miles to go. And you can, you can say, you know what? I've got blisters. I'm not going. Well, you're not going to get to your car. Then you're going to die right where you are. And there were a few times I actually got, we we thought there was one last water source about four miles from the Utah border. So we've hiked quite a bit of this. And I'm sitting in this chair and my wife is looking for the water source because I, I mean, I'm pretty much toast. And I took off my sock and I looked at that quarter inch blister and I thought, you know, I'm going to pop it. I popped it and cleaned it up a little bit. And these thoughts come through your mind. It's like, I can't make it. I don't think I can do anymore. <laughs> that experience is so important in real life. Because so many people get there and they say, I can't make it. I can't make it. I can't do this anymore. I can't take this crisis. I can't take this pandemic. Whatever you're saying. But it's right there that you say, I can't do it anymore, but Jesus can help me. Jesus can help me. I'm, I'm at the end of what I'm doing. But you learn this lesson of the provision of God. You learn how to tap into the grace of God, which is actually spiritual power to do work. And so it's very interesting that hiking has a lot to do with the Christian life because number five is you have to press on and endure to the end. You can't just start the Christian life well. I know lots of people who start well. The question is, did you finish well? did you finish strong? And it's not like some get to and some don't get to. You can finish strong if you'll take Jesus' hand. That's what he'd offered all of us. So title again is, Put No Confidence in the Flesh. Just want to look in Philippians here and see some things that we could apply to life. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice. In the Lord to write the same things again is no trouble to me and it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless." But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, I have interesting times when I'm preparing messages and even do my quiet times and things like that. Words kind of stick out to me. We're reading the first verse in chapter three, and then he says, finally. And you know, <clears throat> it's kind of like the little girl in church, and she says, what does it mean that the preacher said in conclusion and the mother says our preacher it means absolutely nothing (laughs) right so this is the middle of the book of Philippians and he says finally well whenever you see a word like that you got to ask yourself why it's there he's actually putting an equal sign here and he's saying I've given you two chapters of very important teaching this is very important stuff the reason why I like the book of Philippians is it's so practically applicable to everyday life. It doesn't matter what you do. From the top of the corporation to the janitor in the janitor box, it's all applicable to being at home or not being at home. It, being the, it doesn't matter. Philippians is applicable. And here's what he's going to say. Rejoice in the Lord. Finally, rejoice in the Lord. Well, you don't like that mask. I don't like it either. You don't like the rules. I don't like the rules. Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord from jail. He's in jail. And he's saying rejoice in the Lord from jail. Now why is he in jail? For no good reason. It's one thing to be in jail because you deserve to be in jail. It's another thing to be in jail when you don't deserve to be in jail. He's in jail for Jesus. Which, ladies and gentlemen, this is a possible preparation. I know everybody says, you know, it's going to get better after a little while. Okay, that's fine. But there's a lesson you could learn here for this scenario. What if it gets worse? Have we, have we learned the lessons in this part so that we're ready for the next one? See, Paul had, and he knew that his physical circumstances and what was going on in his life did not... De- did not need to take his internal joy it it didn't even crimp his ministry because he was free truly in Christ to live an abundant life in very bad circumstances he was living in bad circumstances but he was rejoicing in the lord there is power in rejoicing in the lord this is something that we need to learn now, I'm a Christian, about three years old in the Lord. I took a genetics 560 test down on campus, and it didn't feel good. As a matter of fact, I wanted to do a certain major at the University of Wisconsin. I was pretty sure that that thing was going to kill my great point. It was over. The dream I had was over. Only probably 20 years of age, I knew what to do. I went into my dorm room, and I vinyl records there are no there are no iPods I had this vinyl record and there was one song about heaven and I played it and I put it back I put the needle back and I played it and I put the needle back and I played it and I put the needle back and I played it I played it until the despair and the depression went away and you know what I got the grade and here's the thing I was right (laughs) But you know what? God had a different plan for my life, and he actually had to close that door in order for this one that I'm in to be. So, point two, a safeguard. I'm also fascinated by little things that preachers seem to say out of the side of their mouth, and sometimes they're the more important thing than the message. And so Paul is reviewing his stuff and he says to write the same things again is no trouble to me and it's a safeguard for you we need to have truth repeated to us because it comes in different times in our life and maybe we'd heard that truth when we were 30 but we've forgotten it or perhaps we're not applying it and the, the people in our lives who teach and preach to us need to say it again and sometimes we get a little squirmy because they said it again. I mean, I do like this one testimony. They called this preacher to a church and he preached on love and he kept preaching it. And after about five weeks, same sermon, they said, hey, you know, you preached on this sermon for five weeks. And he says, yeah, I'm waiting for you to do it. Because you've got to get around it there. So Paul's saying, to write the same things again, no trouble to me. It's a safeguard for you. How do you get a safeguard? Well, you get a safeguard by regular repetition, but regular repetition does not help everybody. Some of you are losing, even though you're here. Regular repetition only works when it's given to wise people because regular repetition to fools never helps them. In fact, it makes them angry. It makes them You know, rebel. If we're getting something regularly repeated to us by God, we better wake up and smell the coffee. There's something we need to change. There's a safeguard in regular repetition given to a wise person. So you've got to make this decision. I need to be a wise person. Here's something. If you haven't been rebuked or correct lately, it might not be that things are good. (laughs) It might not be that things are good. Some of us are like, I haven't been corrected in 15 years. I'm awesome. No, what it could possibly mean is this. The people in your life know that you're a brat. They know that if they correct you, there's going to be hell to pay. They know you're going to be moody. You're going to do this. You're going to throw a tantrum, so they can't. They can't. They can't. They can't say anything. Now, just down the road at Buckeye Evangelical Free, before it was Madison Pentecostal Assembly, I heard a man named Warren Myers say that he prayed every week that someone would rebuke him. And I have taken up that practice and even said from the pulpit, "If you need to rebuke me, feel free." They feel really free. There's so much freedom. And my wife and my children have great freedom too. Now, I expected to get corrected by my wife, but entering in now to four children and their, their, their spouses correcting me, it's like you go home after Sunday morning and it starts. And, and you're like, whoa, didn't see that coming. Really? But let me read to you from Proverbs Proverbs 9, 7 through 9. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Now, we had our pastors, in fact, as they still do have the connection meetings, right? They still have the connection meetings. And I was in a connection meeting for this area of the Fellowship of Christmas Assemblies a long time ago, let's face it. What was interesting is Shane Holden was sitting in a chair, and another pastor was sitting in a chair, and Shane Holden probably at the time I don't exactly know but there was probably about 1600 people going to that church and this guy had 41 and what was so interesting is the guy with 41 was trying to teach Shane how to preach and I'm like well, that's interesting that was interesting is Shane just sat there and listened to it but I was, I was marveling I'm like wow You've got to be kidding. You just gave Shane a recipe for how to have a church of 41. And it's not going to work. And Shane was nice about it, but I was like, wow. No. And the thing is, that guy would give the instructions, we, we could never tell him anything. We could never correct anything. Do not reprove a scoffer, he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. See, this is a decision only I can make for myself, and only you can make for yourself. I'm an idiot. I'm hiking with this experienced hiker. She loves me, cares for my life and my feet. And I am giving her the stiff arm when the only thing she has in her heart is to bless and help me. Do you know in our Christian lives how many times we do that? We're always giving people a stiff arm who really want to help us. They really have good, good intentions for our heart. And the Bible says that you should change the soil of your heart to receive instruction. I just think it's a wise thing to do. In 10 and 11 and 12. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. It means you will bless your life. It doesn't mean anything negative. You are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. Here's the thing about not receiving correction and you lose now here's how it usually works the Lord tells you something quietly in your quiet time or in a service you don't listen then your family gets a hold of you and that's a little bit uncomfortable but it's family if you don't take it then though it's going to get ramped up it's going to be your boss or somebody at work or somebody in the neighborhood and if you don't listen to that then it's going to get shouted from the housetops and that is really unpleasant I don't know what you think, but it's really unpleasant. So, another point here is beware of dogs. This is basically, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. This is the bad, the bad doctrine, the, the stuff taught even in Christianity that's not right. Be, be very careful. I'll correct you like I correct people in my church. There's these websites where they're always criticizing pastors and preachers and theology. Generally speaking, they don't know what they're talking about. And the one that just blew me away the other day is this guy is preaching against Bethel music, against Hillsong, and against Elevation. Now, here's the thing. Elevation isn't even charismatic. It's Baptist. (laughs) So he's got these... You know, he showed his cards a little later. He was just jealous. He says, we're not going to let our young people run after that bad stuff. And I'm thinking, I'm kind of a doorway in our worship music. As a pastor of the church, I can't not let bad theology be sung. And I'm thinking to myself, what bad theology is being taught here? I mean, they're talking like this is the Antichrist and that these people aren't even saved. And I'm like, Who are you that you can do this? And I actually think the problem might be on the other party's doorstep and not on the people that they're criticizing. Because I sing that stuff and I allow that stuff to be sung in my church and I go through the theology of it. Every now and then there's something that I wish was a little different, but it's not heresy, let me tell you that. Moving on. The heart of the matter is this. So we are the true circumcision that worship in the Spirit of God and and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. There's three things there. We should worship in the Spirit of God. It sounds really cutesy, and it sounds really religious, but here's the question. Do we really know how to do it? I'll tell you, you know people that you know how to do it is when you get cancer, ask yourself if you got cancer, who would you go get prayer from? because you're probably thinking, at least they do. At least they know how. And see, we practice for the major problems in life when we don't have those problems. So that when those problems come, we're ready for those problems. Life is tough. Life is difficult. Does anybody get that memo? But you know when you, you, you practice for the moment we're in, actually the time coming up to the time we're in. But if you find out you didn't get the memo, now you go back and get the memo because we need to be really good at worshiping in the Spirit of God. Not just form and, and rote and, 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 you know, I never read your word, I always fall away, but you love me. We can't be doing that kind of a Christian life. We glory in Christ Jesus. Now, here's a thought: We do all this stuff here, but there's a time when you won't have any of it. You'll be dead, maybe of COVID nineteen. I don't know. Just using a present example. That's not even the problem. You dying isn't the problem. You know you're going to die. Here's the time when your spirit comes out of your body. The James says this: the body without the spirit is dead. When your spirit man is coming out of your body now, now we're at the final exam. And we we find out, did we glory in Christ Jesus or did we trust our good works? When you do evangelism, and it doesn't matter what country you go to because I've been to a lot of them, and you ask people, why do you think you're going to go to heaven? It's nine out of 10 people that say, because they're a good person. And you're sitting there thinking, I hate to break the news, but you're not that good. You know, they're they're going to heaven because they're good. See, they're not glorying in Christ Jesus. I'm working on this. I'm not that great a person. I'm just not. I'm sorry if you even think I am. My wife's right here. You can talk to her. <laughs> when that spirit comes out, the only thing's important is what I did with Jesus Christ. That's it. There's nothing else. It's Jesus or nothing. You wonder what you believe. Have you ever had this thought? I wonder if what I believe is a cult. Have you ever had that thought? I wonder if what I believe is true. Well, how do you test that? Well, I'll tell you what Christianity boils down to. Whether or not you believed in the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. If you don't have faith in that, there's nothing for you. If that doesn't work then there is nothing. And we were sitting in uh, Pastor Tom's driving we were talking about a gentleman who had an experience of the love of God at one thing. See, that's what counts. What counts is do I glory in Christ Jesus? And the third thing is I put no confidence in my flesh. It's not me that's going to get me to heaven. Me is going to get me to hell. I I don't trust me anymore. I'm trusting Jesus because Tom is, he's a suspicious dude. So, false confidences. Paul said he circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He gives the whole list he's a pharisee most people have given up following they can't keep this law it is too it's not even really the law it's added to it's it's burdensome but he was one of those few people that did it it says verse 7.7 7, righteousness which is in the law blameless and he was even a persecutor of the church so this guy had everything to boast for as far as a jew who lives in palestine but it wasn't going to get him to heaven he needed jesus so our false confidence is, and I just have to go over this quick, money, intellect, our knowledge, our gifts, our abilities, our heritage slash race, our strength, our experience, our good works. I'll just say this about strength. I'm a dairy farmer. I threw a lot of bales in my day. I had a lot of achy days where when you have 105 temp, you go down and milk those cows because there are nobody else is going to do it. I know all that stuff. But you know, I'm not as strong as I used to be. I can't go the distance that I used to go. And I realize I actually held my strength as an idol. Our experience, our good works, none of this stuff works. We get to this. I must peel away, this is a conclusion, I must peel away everything I have confidence in and trust in Jesus alone. I can't. I I, even coming to church and doing our thing. We can trust in things that aren't Jesus. I can't trust in any. You know why people can't offend me? Because they're not Jesus. They're not going to keep me from serving Jesus. I'm not going to go to church because he looked at me (laughs) cross-eyed. You don't even know why he looked at you cross-eyed. I have regularly people up, Pastor, why do you hate me? And I'm going, I don't hate you. I got a little hamster in here for a brain. And on Sunday morning when I see you, I'm thinking about the three things and I'm trying to keep them all on the thing. <laughs> and then it doesn't tell my face that I'm happy. I actually love you. <laughs> and right now, our church is so big, I don't even know your name, so how would I hate you, right? But people are presumptuous. I got to embrace what Jesus did. I'm not going to confide in anything you can do. And I'm going to remember that in that day, that day when your spirit comes out of your body, I only have Christ. I only have Christ. Okay, our worship team is going to come. We're going to have our last song. It's going to be beautiful. The worship set today was set for this message. So set for it. Let's use this crisis for Jesus. People are fearful. People are ready for the hope that you have within you. Look around and figure out how to get your faith to their fear and help them not trust in the flesh but trust in him.